0: Welcome to WMNF 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. You're listening to Tuesday Café. I'm Sean Canaan. Open enrollment for the Affordable Care Act's Health Insurance Marketplace began on November 1st. Today we're going to talk about how you can get help from an Obamacare navigator to find out if you're eligible for financial assistance and to choose the plan that's best for you. So joining us right now by Zoom is Katie Rodgers Turner, the Executive Director of Tampa Family Healthcare Foundation. Welcome back to WMNS Tuesday Cafe, Katie.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's great to be here. We really appreciate the support and getting the word out about open enrollment.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you could join us because I'm sure our listeners have a lot of questions about how they can get affordable uh, healthcare because it's on everyone's mind, of course, uh, with, with the economy the way it is. Saving any bit of money you can, but especially on something that's as volatile and expensive typically as health care, health insurance. So, thanks so much for coming on the show. So, remind people what is the Affordable Care Act's marketplace and why there's an open enrollment period.
1: Absolutely. So, the health insurance marketplace is a one-stop shop on healthcare.gov to apply for healthcare coverage, and then comparing uh, different carriers side by side, which is really important because we have six carriers in the Tampa Bay area, and there's over 170 plans to choose from. It's great because there's so many options, but it's really important to take the time to look and see what's going to be the best coverage for you and your family.
0: Open enrollment began November 1st. How long do people have during open enrollment?
1: So the deadline to apply for coverage that begins on January 1st is December 15th. The last day to apply for coverage for 2023 would be January 15th.
0: You mentioned that there's 170 plans, so that does sound like a daunting uh, endeavor if you're all by yourself. If you have no help in in picking out a plan, how am I? How in the world would I choose from these 170 plans from these six different carriers? But the good news is that organizations like yours are out there. They're government funded. It's not something that that people have to worry about. That you're making a, a huge profit, or that they're going to have to cough up a lot of money to to get your help. So tell people about what kinds of of um, assistance that your group offers and other groups in the area.
1: Absolutely. So the Family Healthcare Foundation, we're a nonprofit and we've been in Tampa Bay for almost 25 years. Our vision is that every person in Tampa Bay has equitable access to affordable, quality healthcare, just ensure a healthy, vibrant community. So as a nonprofit, we're generously funded by the Children's Board of Hillsborough County, USF College of Public Health, Hillsborough County, and Florida Healthy Kids Corporation to provide free, one-on-one, unbiased, confidential application assistance to help people find the most affordable healthcare coverage for them and then understand how to use it. And we have navigator partners throughout Tampa Bay, uh, BayCare Health System, Tampa General Hospital, Premier Community Healthcare, and Evra Health. So we have over 35 navigators throughout Tampa Bay providing this assistance. Navigators will sit with anyone, either virtually or in person, review all the different plan options with them, compare them side by side, and ensure that the person feels like they're able to make the best decision for them and their families. I
0: want to remind people that we're speaking with Katie Roters turner the executive director of Tampa Family Healthcare Foundation. And we're talking about the Obam- Obamacare open enrollment period for the Affordable Care Act's health insurance marketplace. So this is where people can get health insurance and possibly very likely, in fact, get a supplement. So first of all, who is eligible to get Obamacare, to get healthcare through this marketplace?
1: So pretty much everyone's able to go into the marketplace and look and see if uh, they um, can submit an application and maybe qualify for financial assistance. Usually over 100% of the federal poverty level will see the highest amount of subsidies um, available to them. But even those over 400% of the federal poverty level could get access to some subsidies for their families. And now is a very important time to go back and look and compare your plan options. We have seen that some premium prices have gone up as much as 4% this year. So going back and looking and seeing what other insurance options are available to you could really help save some money in 2023.
0: So I think what you're referring to there is you're referring to people who are already signed up for a plan. The, the price of their plan might be going up and you're saying, go back and, and look again and maybe there's something that's more affordable that, that might fit your needs.
1: Absolutely. And for those who have gone to the marketplace previously on healthcare.gov and seen really high premium prices, now is a great time to come back and look and see to check again. Because there is expanded financial assistance this year. And in addition to that, there's been some really exciting policy changes that may let more people get access to the subsidies that are on the healthcare.gov website. We saw that the family glitch got fixed, which was um, an issue where families were not able to get subsidies on the marketplace. Um, That's been corrected. So we're really excited to see those changes for 2023. Um, And for those who have been enrolled for many years, always go back and take a really active approach in selecting a plan option every single year.
0: Our guest is Katie Roters Turner, the executive director of Tampa Family Healthcare Foundation. You're listening to WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM. I'm Sean Canaan. This is WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, and we're talking about open enrollment for onhealthcare.gov. And if if uh, someone's situation changes outside the open enrollment period, they're still eligible to uh, to sign up for a plan, even if they miss this this uh, slot. What does that mean when someone's situation changes?
1: Absolutely. It's a great question. So after open enrollment ends, if there's a major life change, getting married, having a baby, moving, even possibly changes in household income, someone may qualify for what's called a special enrollment period. And that option would be available to people to go back and look at the marketplace at that point to enroll in coverage at that time. So if someone's losing employer-sponsored insurance for themselves or their spouse, that's a great opportunity to look at the marketplace too.
0: So people can apply for subsidies. They can compare health insurance plans. They can enroll in coverage. They can do all that on healthcare.gov. But um, if they want to have that personal touch, uh, remind them again what what's the best ways to, to get in touch with someone where they can they can literally have somebody who is an expert walk them through it, and an expert that doesn't really have any cards in the game.
1: Thank you so much. So we actually have um, we have office locations all over Tampa Bay, either with Family Healthcare Foundation or with our partners at BayCare Health System, Tampa General Hospital, Premier Community Healthcare, or Evera Health. In addition to that, this Saturday we have two enrollment events occurring. So in Pasco County at Centennial Park Branch Library from ten to two, navigators will be on site providing free in-person assistance. And then also in Pinellas County at West St. Petersburg Community Library, we'll have navigators there as well. In addition to that, we've got in-person appointments all throughout open enrollment on Saturdays and evenings. We have virtual and telephone appointments. Uh, People can call 813-995-7005, and we'll find the navigator that's closest to the person who's asking for an appointment or the soonest virtual or uh, Zoom appointment, too.
0: I think I'm going to let our, our listeners ask some questions if if they have any. So let me give out the number. If you'd like to call in and ask a question of a navigator, 813-239-9663. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org. Or you can text us at 813 433 0885. If you text or email, it would probably be very helpful if you mentioned which county you're in or, or uh, what city you're in, something like that, so that Katie has a better uh, idea of how to specifically help you or answer your question. So, Katie, uh, let us, we've, in the past, we've heard these things about gold plans and, and silver plans. In general, what are the different types of plans available and how do they differ?
1: That's a great question. So I mentioned that there were six different insurance carriers. So plans may look a little bit different depending on the carrier that you choose. But even beyond that, there are four different metal tiers, bronze, silver, gold, and platinum. Those usually refer to the out-of-pocket expenses that a person may incur throughout a policy year. So for someone who does have a lot of chronic medical needs, they may be looking at a gold or platinum plan with a lower Maximum out of pocket because they know they'll need to utilize that coverage. And for someone who's not a high utilizer of medical care, may be looking at a bronze level plan to cover them in the event of a catastrophic emergency. And for people who are in a certain age bracket, there's even something called catastrophic coverage as well. And we review all of those options with everyone. We may select a bronze or a gold in in advance to show them the major differences and then let that help be a guide for people as they're deciding what coverage option they'd like to choose.
0: The healthcare marketplace, the health insurance marketplace that was under the Affordable Care Act, that is under, I should say, the Affordable Care Act, some people call it Obamacare, is very popular in Florida. About 2.7 million Floridians enrolled in health insurance under the Affordable Care Act in 2022. That's up from 2.1 million last year. I'm getting these numbers from the office of of U.S. Representative Kathy Castor, so I hope they're accurate. I I don't have any reason to think that they're not, but that's a lot of people. 2.7 million people essentially are, are getting their health insurance through what we colloquially call Obamacare, Why is it so so many in Florida?
1: Well, we do have a lot of people in Florida, and I will say we also saw a lot of people move to Florida, especially as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, So we saw an incredible increase in people in activity uh, for people looking for healthcare coverage. And as jobs have changed and people are working gig economy jobs, and the marketplace is a great place for people to find coverage when they don't have access to it from their employers. Um, In addition to that, we expect that there will be continuing to have an increase in coverage um, through the marketplace going into 2023. So I would not be surprised if we exceed last year's uh, coverage amounts.
0: And I think Florida leads the nation, is that right?
1: That is correct. Florida does lead the
0: nation. The the Florida Covering Kids and Families team at the USF's College of Public Health has been awarded a $12.9 million grant by the Biden administration to help further their work to connect Floridians in the Tampa Bay area to quality health care that works for them and their family. I, I was reading from a press release that came from the federal government. And uh, so that, that type of work, the work that is being funded by the feds, is helping people here in Florida to get coverage. How does that Rest. work?
1: Yeah, so the Florida Covering Kids and Families out of the USF College of Public Health has a statewide initiative called Covering Florida. Um, So there are partner agencies all around Florida, just like the Family Healthcare Foundation, helping get people access to affordable healthcare coverage. So here in Tampa Bay, the Family Healthcare Foundation leads the Tampa Bay Navigator Project under that Covering Florida umbrella. So it's great because if we find that someone's got a friend or family member in um, Miami-Dade County, we can contact our uh, Covering Florida partner in that area to make sure that they're getting that same type of one-on-one assistance from a navigator.
0: I want to remind people that you're listening to WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM, WMNF.org. I'm Sean Canaan, and this is WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. We're speaking with Katie Rogers turner Executive Director of Tampa Family Healthcare Foundation. And this is a show about Obamacare and how you can sign up for the Affordable Care Act's Health insurance marketplace during the open enrollment period that ends December 15th. So if you'd like to g- ask a question, 813 239 9663, email dj at wmnf.org or text 813 433 0885. I'm going to transition a little bit to Medicaid and I hope that uh, these are questions that you might be able to answer, but if not, let me know. So the, t- the, the Tampa Bay Times tells us that the um, Expanding, If if Florida were to expand the federal Medicaid program, it provides health insurance to low-income and disabled people. That would make an estimated 900,000 Floridians eligible for Medicaid or more than 4% of the state's population. That includes more than 400,000 people who earn below the federal poverty level, according to the Florida Policy Institute, which is a Tallahassee nonprofit. So uh, moving aside specifically from the health insurance marketplace... uh, If Florida were to expand Medicaid, that would certainly also provide a lot of Floridians with health insurance. Any thoughts?
1: Yeah, and absolutely. Thank you. It's a great point. So correct. If Florida was to expand Medicaid, it would certainly cover everyone who is in, most everyone who's in what we refer to as the Medicaid gap. So zero to 100% of the federal poverty level. There's no federal protection for them through a public health program. Um, States were... um, provided the opportunity during the implementation of the Affordable Care Act to expand Medicaid. Um, So some states like me, most states actually like New York, California, many others have Medicaid for lower income populations. Um, We do not have that in the state of Florida. Unfortunately, I should say, we're very, very lucky to be in Hillsborough County um, that has an incredible healthcare plan that's offered through um, the Hillsborough County Healthcare Services Department. Um, and that is a comprehensive managed care plan that has zero cost for medical care, and also zero cost to be enrolled into it.
0: If someone's a Hillsboro resident and they would like to find out more about that Hillsboro medical plan, how, where can they go?
1: We will also assist with that. So the Family Healthcare Foundation helps with most publicly funded healthcare program applications, um, uploading documents, answering questions, connecting people with doctors. Um. really anything we can do to ensure that people are in a program that's getting them access to affordable or free healthcare coverage when they're eligible. Um. So we'll help with applications or any follow up items that they need for Hillsborough County healthcare plan.
0: And I should say that there's a link on our website WMNF.org to all of the resources that we're talking about in this conversation, including Katie's group. So you can go to WMNF.org to find links to all that information. Um, you mentioned Hillsboro. What about some of the other counties in the area? Are there similar programs to Hillsborough's in, in the other counties?
1: Great question. So Pinellas does have a health care plan as well. Um, and then also, in addition to that, Polk County has a health care plan. Um, not a lot of counties in Florida, unfortunately, do have a safety net program for uh, health care services for what's referred to as an indigent population or lower income. But in Tampa Bay, three of the four counties that the Family Health Care Foundation covers does have those, which we're very very fortunate.
0: Our guest is Katie Roders Turner, Executive Director of Tampa Family Healthcare Foundation, and you're listening to 88.5 FM WMNF Tampa. This is Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. You know we do have a question on the phone, so let's go. Right. Let's go now to John in Tampa. Hi, John. What's on your mind? Um, I had a question about a navigator. Um, I've had healthcare coverage on and off for three three years now but I haven't been able to keep it for the full year.
1: We would be happy to connect with you and have an appointment to see which what, what we can do to help st- um, keep you enrolled for the coverage. Do you,
0: um, uh, would you were to give us a call for at- For a navigator, uh, I was hoping to get that phone number for a navigator.
1: Yeah, absolutely, 813-995-7005. got it.
0: All right, John, I hope that that helps you. Any other questions? No, no, I'm I'm interested to have a, a conversation with a navigator and uh, see some of my uh, health care issues to the end.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And John, if you're in Tampa, we have an in-person office location that we can get you to or if you prefer to do phone or virtual, that's totally fine as well. Whatever's going to be the most comfortable for you.
0: I think phone's the best for me.
1: Okay, sounds good. We'll look forward to your call.
0: Thank you. So much. Thanks for the call, John. And if you have any questions, give us a call at 813-239-9663. Or you can email dj at wmnf.org or text 813 813- Four three three zero eight eight five. Thanks for that call, John. Um, I'm going to go back to Medicaid for for a second. Um, here's one reason why I was reading the Tampa Bay Times this morning, and they have a really great article about um, how Medicaid is being expanded in some of the other states that have had trouble expanding Medicaid. If you don't mind me using that that language, so each year during the Florida legislative sessions, there are calls to expand Medicaid eligibility, but it, so far it hasn't been expanded because the legislature has kind of pushed back on that. So, um, the article that I'm talking about in the Times is about a similar situation in a red state in South Dakota where legislators opposed expanding Medicaid. But last week, South Dakota voters approved expanding Medicaid in a ballot measure that easily passed with 56%. And it's the seventh state in the past five years to expand Medicaid through a ballot initiative. Uh, so, um, there are a co- there is a coalition of groups that wants to put it before the voters in Florida in 2024, but if it gets on the ballot, it would need 60%. And before that, they would need nearly 890,000 signatures, and that might require $10 million. So all that information is from the Tampa Bay Times article today, or maybe they published it yesterday. I'm not sure uh, about Medicaid expansion. So I just wanted to fill our listeners in since we were talking about Medicaid just a moment ago. Um, I don't know if this is too political a question for you, but if... If uh, Medicaid expansion were on the table, is that something that your group would would support as a way of getting more people covered?
1: We are invested in any way that people can get access to healthcare coverage. Uh, we are a nonprofit and we um, are, um, are separate from advocacy efforts at this time, um, but we are definitely interested in getting people access to healthcare coverage through any current or existing healthcare program that's available to them.
0: Well, Katie, those were the questions that I had, but is there anything that uh, we've left out that, that you could impart on our listeners before you go about how they can get help getting health insurance?
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much. Again, so we'll have navigators this Saturday at two different locations in Tampa, uh, Tampa Bay in Pasco County in an enrollment event at Centennial Park Branch Library and then also at West St. Petersburg Community Library in St. Petersburg opportunities to get help, though. We are going to be available all throughout open enrollment, providing in-person or virtual assistance. And then even after open enrollment ends, we are still here to help people find affordable healthcare coverage options. We're here year round, always free, always confidential and unbiased.
0: And I'm going to give out your phone number again, 813-995-7005. Did I get that right? You got it. All right. And so if you want to call and talk to a navigator, call 813-995-7005. So I want to thank you very much for coming on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, Katie.
1: Thank you so much. Really appreciate the support. Thanks for all you do.
0: Thank you. And I'm glad you could come on. Katie Rodgers-Turner is executive director of Tampa Family Healthcare Foundation. Well, you're listening to 88.5 FM WMNF Tampa. We're going to be right back after this short music break. We're going to hear from a Tampa area member of Congress who just spoke at at the COP in Sharm el Sheikh, Egypt. When I say just, I'm talking about in the last few days. So we'll hear that speech. So please stay tuned on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. Here on WMNF Tampa. Well, welcome back to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe on 88.5 FM on WMNF.org on the WMNF app. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks for listening to the first half of the, the show where we talked about healthcare navigators and finding healthcare insurance through the Affordable Care Act's health insurance marketplace again the number to co- contact a navigator is 813-995-7005 or you can find links to all their websites on our website wmnf.org if you have any comments or questions about healthcare navigators and about health insurance you can call 813-239-9663 and and talk to me I hope I'll be able to answer if, if um, you do call and ask a question or we can put it out to our audience and maybe they know the answer if I don't happen to know. Or if you'd like to talk about the climate change conference that's happening in Egypt. We've been hearing all week from, it, from Sharm El Sheikh Egypt with Amy Goodman's live coverage there. Uh, and so we're going to hear a little bit more right now. Later on in the show, we might talk about things like the migrant flights to Martha's Vineyard and what's the latest on that. We might hear hear about that. And we might hear a little bit more about Ron DeSantis and a possible 2024 presidential run on the day that it seems likely that Donald Trump is going to announce his 2024 uh, um, uh, presidential run, his third run, perhaps. What do you think? If you have any thoughts about any of these things, give us a call, 813-239-9663, or you can email dj at wmnf.org, or you can text 813-433-0885. And it works best if you sign your name when you text an email. So we do turn now to the United Nations Climate Conference in Egypt. The full name of the conference is the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change 27th Conference of the Parties. You might hear, hear, you might hear it be called the COP27. It's taking place in Sharm El Sheikh, Egypt. And you have been hearing reports on Democracy Now!, The two-week meeting started with a strong appeal from world leaders for greater efforts to curb greenhouse gas emissions and to provide more financial help for poor nations coping with global warming. Scientists say the amount of greenhouse gases being pumped into the atmosphere needs to be halved by 2030. So that's in the next, what, seven or eight years in order to meet the goals of the Paris Climate Accord. But a major group of countries that includes oil and gas exporting nations has pushed back against... Explicit references to keeping the target of limiting global warming under 1.5 degrees Celsius. Last week, a member of Congress from Tampa participated in a press conference with other members of the U.S. congressional delegation. So here we listen to Kathy Castor, who is a Democrat from Tampa. She's chair of the House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. Here's what she had to say at COP27 in Egypt.
2: Thank you, Madam Speaker. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Kathy Castor of Florida, the chair of the House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. Very honored to be representing the United States of America along with my colleagues here today, including uh, the champions, the climate champions from our Climate Committee, who you've already said, but I've got to recognize them again Rep Bonamici, Rep Huffman, Rep Kasten. Uh, and Rep. Escobar, Uh, they really were part of a historic effort in the United States of America that started uh, way back, but came to fore just a couple of years ago with a broad outreach effort, listening first to the scientists who said, we must act now, we're in a climate emergency and we're running out of time to address the climate crisis. Their work culminated in the solving the climate crisis action plan that compiled recommendations from stakeholders all across the country, across the globe, and how the United States of America could tackle the climate crisis. It did become the basis for the Inflation Reduction Act, our historic climate law, and the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, our Bipartisan Infrastructure Act, and uh, additional action through the National Defense Authorization Act and our appropriations bills, because we have to keep working in everything that we do. But the Inflation Reduction Act in particular uh, allows us to meet President Biden's goals of cutting climate pollution by 50 to 52% by 2030. And it keeps us on track of getting to net zero as soon as possible and no later than 2050. And when you reflect upon this last term of Congress, this last, these last two years with President Biden's leadership and the leadership of Speaker Pelosi, the strongest speaker in the history of the House of Representatives, no matter what happens in this midterm election, the most effective speaker of the House in history, who has made climate action her flagship issue and has never given up from the time of a decade ago where we voted on another energy uh, climate package that didn't get through the Senate at that time, But we knew what was at stake, our moral obligation to act, to reduce climate pollution, and to meet our ambitious climate goals. So the Inflation Reduction Act, in essence, it cuts costs for consumers, and it cuts pollution. And we hope that it can be a model for other countries across the planet uh, to act. Uh, It creates jobs. And it addresses the, helps us avoid the costly catastrophes that we are all experiencing. I come from the state of Florida. We just uh, were hit by another hurricane. We we don't get hurricanes usually in November. When you reflect upon the pain, and damage in Pakistan, with the floods, or Nigeria, here on the continent of Africa, the extreme heat, the droughts. These are expensive, and they come at a time when we're all dealing with global inflation exacerbated by Putin's unprovoked aggression on Ukraine that has exacted a toll and is raising costs for everyone. And we know the pathway out is clean, affordable energy, not to be tied to petrodictators any longer. So the Inflation Reduction Act helps us along that path. But here we are at COP27 working with countries across the globe in advancing global action, reducing emissions and enhancing resilience. Now we've all got to build on those outcomes. Time is of the essence to do so. The United States is working hard to ramp up its support for vulnerable nations and developing countries especially to to respond to the climate emergency and implement the Paris Agreement lower cost for everyone. The President has pledged to quadruple climate funding from the Obama administration peak delivering $11 billion annually by 2024 in finance to support countries in their efforts to decarbonize their economies and advance climate-friendly land-use practices. Here in the House of Representatives, we have passed, in this year's appropriations bill, over $3 billion to keep our promise uh, and to uh, follow President Biden's leadership. We also intend to do more when it comes to enhancing efforts by public through public and private finance, through the World Bank, through modernization of the IMF, through what we do year after year in the Peace Corps, through USAID, through NASA and NOAA through building these partnerships that will support our allies in all countries across the planet to meet our moral obligation, I will also want to salute the Special Envoy John Kerry, who has led with great effectiveness effectiveness for many years. And he, I hope the other countries will join in what America is trying to lead on, including the the Green Shipping Challenge, the Global Methane Pledge, the First Movers Coalition, the Africa Adaptation Initiative, early warning systems for all, so that we can meet this moment It's a historic moment of climate action out of the United States of America that we're very proud of, and we hope it will help us build momentum to cut costs for everyone and cut pollution and meet our moral obligation to save the planet. Thank you, Madam Speaker.
0: Well, that was Tampa area Democratic Representative, U.S. Representative Kathy Castor, who was speaking in Egypt at the COP 27 just a few days ago and... Uh, she is chair of the House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis, speaking at COP twenty-seven. And so, I have a question to our listeners: What do you think? So, that right now, as of right now, there is a lot of uh, sev- there are several um, congressional seats still being counted, the races. And as of right this moment, I think the Republicans need one more of those to fall into their favor in order for them to gain control of the of the House of Representatives. If that happens. Nancy Pelosi will no longer be speaker. That's one of the things that will happen. But my question to you, and you can call and answer at 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-4330-885, is will the House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis survive? Is that something that you think that the Republicans are likely to keep going if they regain control of the House of Representatives, or will they just say... Bye-bye to that. So um, that's a question I'm putting to you if you'd like to answer. So give us a call about that. And what do you think about what some of the things that Kathy Castor was saying there? Representative Castor, she said that uh, that the Inflation Reduction Act and the other legislation that has been passed recently in, in Congress and signed by the president will reduce by 50 to 52% by the year 2030, the amount of greenhouse gas emissions that are coming out of the United States, which in that case would be on track to meet the Paris Accords for the United States if that, all that happens. So what are your thoughts about any of that? I'm going to read a couple of emails, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about some of the other topics of the day as well. But I'd like to let you weigh in on any of these subjects. So please give us a call 813-239-9663. We got a message here from Hillsborough County that says, we've looked into the marketplace before as well as last year, but I was told I'm not able to get any discounts from the marketplace as the company my husband works for works with offers group insurance. However, it's very expensive and we can't afford it. And she's, I, he or she is referring there to the, um, the, to the, apparently to the private insurance that comes from their employer. Any suggestions on if there's any changes this year We're in Hillsborough and Tampa? So thank you for that question from the 813 area code. And I will, uh, you know, I don't have any firsthand knowledge, but based on what my guest said, and, and for people who just tuned in, we talked about the open enrollment Obamacare period. It sounds like there are some changes this year where more people are eligible for financial assistance and or there's, more aid available in general for people. So my advice, if you're in Hillsborough County, you could call them at 813-995-7005 to, uh, to talk to a healthcare navigator. You can do it over the phone or you can set up an in-person appointment or you can do it on the web. And I think one of the places where you can get help on the web is healthcare.gov. You can also find other links to more local websites on our website, wmnf.org. So I hope that helps you, Hillsborough County emailer. Um, Jeff writes in, and he writes a question that may be better if I I play it after I I play this audio. So let me play a little bit of audio, and it's about the age-old question about what happens in 2024. Of course, there's speculation about a couple of candidates, at least right now in the GOP one is that there's this big announcement that's happening today November 15th in Mar-a-Lago tonight. So Donald Trump is going to make an announcement today and most pundits think that he's going to say he's going to declare for the presidency that he's going to run for the presidency. So that's one thing. The other is that our in Florida we have a very popular governor who just won re-election by a landslide, a huge landslide for Florida. I mean Florida has been had tight governor's races the last three or four cycles. Well, Governor DeSantis's re-election victory has heightened speculation that he plans to run for president in 2024. DeSantis would enter uncharted legal territory in Florida. He would become the first sitting governor to make a White House bid. So here is uh, what a Tallahassee-based election attorney thinks. Mark Heron says only state law requires elected officials who qualify for another office to resign, but that's not how presidential candidates get on the ballot. Here's
2: Mark Herron. It's my view and has been for a number of years that uh, that resign-to-run law does not particularly uh, apply to Florida officials who seek the office of President of the United States.
0: Heron adds that political parties nominate their presidential candidates at national conventions. That means DeSantis would not have to go through the same qualification process that all other candidates go through if he runs for president in two years. So what are your thoughts on that? What should Governor DeSantis run for re-election, sorry, run for uh, a president in 2024? Should he resign from governor if he does so? Uh, Are you an expert on campaigns or on on, uh, the law? And maybe you have a different opinion or the same opinion as this Tallahassee-based elections attorney that we just heard from. Give us a call. The number to call in is 813-239-9663. Or you can email DJ at WMNF.org or text 813 433 So kind of on that note, Jeff has a question for you. He wrote in and he said, the question goes to the listeners. Which presidency would you be more fearful of, Trump or DeSantis? And he couched his question in saying that he thinks that there's a tendency of listeners to not like the GOP. So uh, whether or not that's true... Which Jeff asks, which presidency would you be more fearful of, Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis? So you can weigh in right now by calling 813-239-9663, or you can email your answer to dj at wmnf.org, or you can text it to 813-433-0885. Of course, a yes or no question or an answer with just the person's name might not be that interesting. Tell us why. So, uh, yeah, let's hear from you. So another topic that that's on in the news today, and speaking of Governor DeSantis, is we all recall from a few months ago where the uh, the. the Tampa resident named Perla was in San Antonio gathering up migrants from Venezuela, having them sign waivers and putting them on a plane to Florida. And then that plane from Florida went to uh, Martha's Vineyard and a Leon County circuit judge has dismissed a lawsuit that was filed by a South Florida Senator. He alleges that state funded flights of migrants to Martha's Vineyard violated the Florida constitution and another law, but the judge After he dismissed that lawsuit, he did advise plaintiffs how to recraft the legal complaint so that the case can move forward. Lawyers for Governor Ron DeSantis and the Florida Department of Transportation filed a motion that disputed the allegations and argued that the state Senator Jason Pizzo did not show. He had legal standing to pursue the case. Pizzo filed the lawsuit in September, which was about a week after a state contractor flew those 50 migrants. They were mostly Venezuelans from Texas to Florida to Massachusetts. Pizzo spoke to reporters following yesterday's hearing, and here's what he had to say. They got to pick a side. They got to say that they weren't unauthorized aliens. They were just people, asylum seekers, signing a release form for a free trip to Martha's Vineyard. Or they have to say they're unauthorized aliens, in which case it specifically says this year you can't do that. DeSantis has long battled the Biden administration about immigration policy, and lawmakers included $12 million in this year's state budget for implementing a program to facilitate facilitate the transport of unauthorized aliens from this state, consistent with federal law. Part of the controversy about the flights is that the DeSantis administration used Florida money to fly migrants from Texas. But the DeSantis administration contends that the flights were legal because they went from Texas to the Florida panhandle to Massachusetts. So what do you think? 813-239-9663. Do you think that Senator Pizzo has... A good case in his lawsuit, if it's filed again correctly, as the judge has has given him suggestions for, what do you think? 813-239-9663 or WMNF.org. I'm going to get to some of these emails in just a second, but you're also welcome to call in as well. So here's an email that comes in from Mario, and he said... Desantis would most definitely be the scarier of the two. Trump is just mindlessly cash grabbing. I feel that Desantis is more organized and can do more impactful, irreparable damage to our democracy. So there is a very strong opinion for in that question that Jeff sent to us. Mario says that Desantis would be would have a more damaging presidency than Donald Trump. So. Do you agree? Do you disagree? 813-239-9663 or WMNF.org. And I want to read some of the, the other news that's happening in the world because it's a very, very big news week here, of course. Uh, almost all we can you can say that almost all the time. Um, what about inflation? Inflation seems to be easing a bit. So prices at the wholesale level lo- wholesale level rose 8% in October from a year ago. That's the fourth straight decline. It's the latest sign that the inflation pressures in the United States are easing from painfully high levels. The annual figure is, de- figure is down from 8.4% in September. On a monthly basis, the government said today that its producer price index that measures costs before they reach consumers rose 0.2% in October from September. That was the same as in the previous month, which was revised down from its initial reading of 0.4%. So perhaps on that news, stocks have risen broadly on Wall Street so far today after the government reported that decline in the pace of inflation. It's the latest glimpse of hope that inflationary pressures in the U.S. might be easing. And there's a whole bunch of stock specifics that I'm not going to get into, but just to suffice to say that as of right now, the stock market seems to be going up today. Um, There is, speaking of climate change, which we were speaking of just a second ago, and we can still continue to to talk about, I still want to hear what people think about whether that select committee on the climate crisis is going to survive in a GOP-controlled House of Representatives, if that's indeed where the country goes. Um, But Germany has marked the completion of port facilities for the first of five planned liquefied natural gas terminals it's scrambling to put in place as it replaces the Russian pipeline gas that once accounted for more than half of its supplies. The site in the North Sea port in a, in a North Sea port was one of two that the German government announced shortly after Russia invaded Ukraine in February. Germany until now has had no liquid, nas- liquefied natural gas terminals. Five are now planned in total. They're part of a drive to prevent an energy crunch that also includes temporarily reactivating old oil and coal-fired power play- power stations and extending the life of Germany's last three nuclear power plants for a few months. So it's not just in the United States where we're feeling a gas crunch, gasoline crunch because of the Ukraine Russia war. Uh, it's also certainly having a big impact, and maybe more directly in Europe. So uh, if you have any thoughts about that, let us know. Also, we've we've heard we've been hearing over the last few months about donations of Mackenzie Scott. She has a, a huge fortune as. As one of the partners in in Amazon's uh, uh, company before her divorce, her big gifts have been a boon to charities who received them and widespread fears in the nonprofit world that her gifts would lead to other donors to pull back their support or that small groups would not be able to handle them were largely unfounded. That's according to a study by the Center for Effective Philanthropy. It surveyed more than 700 nonprofits that Scott identified as grant recipients in 2020 and 2021. And the chief executive of El Pasoan's Fighting Hunger, which is a food bank that received $9 million from Scott in 2020, said the money shored up her group's financial health as food assistance needs soared. So if you have thoughts about any of these, give us a call, 813-239-9663, or you can email dj at wmnf.org or you can text 813-433-0885. Please sign your name if you do text. So here's what Bubba says. He says, I think Trump is a scarier prospect as president than DeSantis. Trump led an insurrection against Congress because he's a sore loser. I don't think that DeSantis would do such a crazy thing. So that's what Bubba says. So for, so far, the unofficial count is DeSantis won, Trump won. Um, and now C- Cecilia writes in, thank you for this email. She says, I th- I would think a major point of that lawsuit would be who paid for the flight from Texas to the Panhandle. Did DeSantis pay for it? If he did, then I would think that the lawsuit should stick. And so again, to remind people what Cecilia is talking about here is the the migrant flights where, where a Tampa resident whose first name is Perla and who is uh, being sought by law enforcement, I believe um, the the sheriff of Bear County in in Texas is has an investigation into this as a criminal act, and they want information from Perla. But her whereabouts are unknown right now. Uh, she rounded up some people, got them to sign waivers. Most of them were from Venezuela put them on a plane that was chartered by the the state of Florida, chartered and paid for is my understanding of the state of Florida, flew them from San Antonio to the Panhandle and then from the Panhandle to Martha's Vineyard. And so according to that, Cecilia thinks that that, the lawsuit should stick because Florida paid to fly those migrants from Texas to the Panhandle. So that's, that's my understanding of all of that. Thank you, Cecilia. Let me know if you agree or disagree with what I what I was putting out there. So here's what Andy says in Tampa. If the GOP wins the House, they will do as they normally do and waste the next two years on nonsense, expect countless, endless investigations into Biden and his family and zero useful legislation. So that's the email that comes in from Andy in Tampa. Um, and I was specifically asking about what might happen to the Select Committee on the Climate Crisis, of which Tampa's... Member of Congress, Kathy Castor, is the chair. Will that survive if the GOP, as expected, takes over control of of, uh, the the U.S. House when all the dust settles on on the election? 813-239-9663. If you'd like to join this conversation, you can also text us at 813-433-0885 or you can email us at dj at w mnf.org, and uh, we have an email here from eight one three who asked for the phone number, and and I sent them the phone number, and they said they're going to call the navigator. So thank you for for participating in the show. Really appreciate that. So in Florida news, here's what's what probably the most important um, Florida news that's happened since this morning is. We are learning that the superintendent of Florida's second-largest school district has been fired after a late-night motion brought up by a board member who was appointed by Florida Governor DeSantis following a grand jury report into the Parkland school massacre. The board voted 5-4 to four to fire Broward School Superintendent Vicki Cartwright after Broward School board member Daniel Foganoli. Brought up the surprise motion last night. Cartwright, who has held the position since the summer of 2021, did not comment. The district has been embroiled in a controversy since a grand jury investigation into the shooting also uncovered unrelated allegations of mismanagement. A former official was charged with contract rigging. A former superintendent with perjury, and four school board members were eventually removed. So, uh, sounds like there was a lot of shenan- there's been a lot of shenanigans in the Broward County School District. Um, but it's not now. It's not until now when we have new appointees to the school board that it gets taken care of. So you might be happy about that, or you might think it's fishy. Um, it's up to you to decide. What you you know, if you want to weigh in on that, go for it. And here's more about what we know about what's going to happen tonight at Mar-a-Lago. Former President Trump is preparing to launch his third campaign for the White House with an announcement tonight. He's looking to move on from disappointing midterm defeats and defy history amid signs that his grip on the Republican Party may be waning. The former president had hoped to use the GOP's expected gains in last week's elections as a springboard to win his party's nomination by locking in early support. And by keeping potential challengers at bay, instead, Trump now finds himself being blamed for backing a series of losing candidates in last week's midterm elections. So, what do you think? Did that really hurt Trump's reputation? I mean, he's getting—I'll use Obama's words—he's getting a shellacking at the polls last week. Um, all, all quite a number of his candidates are have lost or are losing the latest being the candidate for governor in arizona who who it appears has lost as of last night, the AP called it. So um, you know, Trump it has a very, very poor record in supporting candidates in twenty twenty two. Will that carry over to 2024? Will people think that he kind of has lost his magic, or will there be enough support for Trump that he will end up being the nominee for the GOP? What do you think? We've gotten a couple of people to weigh in, and one person said that they thought that DeSantis would be a scarier uh, candidate for president, and the other thought that Trump would be a scarier president. Uh, I, I I think they were referring. The first person was also referring to DeSantis being a scarier president uh, of the two. Also, there's a interesting moon launch tonight. I hope you heard the news. My newscast this morning, where we talked about how it was a. um, There's going to be, uh, they're testing a technology called solar uh, solar wind solar solar sails, uh, where it just uh, it collects solar power, solar photons, essentially bashing against this small thing, a small foil of aluminum, and it just uh, that's what propels the this experiment that's going to happen. Uh, in other news from that launch, NASA is counting down to this week's planned liftoff of its new moon rocket after an evaluation of hurricane damage. Hurricane Nicole's high winds last Thursday caused a 10-foot section of caulking to peel away near the capsule at the top of the rocket. Mission managers decided the damage provided little ex- extra risk to the, li- to the flight. Liftoff from Kennedy Space Center is scheduled for early tomorrow morning. It's the first test flight for the 322-foot rocket. It will send a capsule with test dummies into lunar orbit. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe today. And I especially want to thank my guest, Katie Rudders-Turner. She was the executive director of the Family Tampa Family Healthcare Foundation. And we talked about Affordable Care Act navigators and how you can get insurance on the Obamacare marketplace. You can go to healthcare.gov. Or you can call them at 813-995-7005 or you can find links to other local information on our website, WMNF.org. Later on in the day, I'm going to post the video that I had of the interview that I did with Katie Roters turner earlier in the show. And that will be up on our website, WMNF.org as well. So thank you, Katie, for participating in the show. I also want to thank our phone screener, John Dunn. You have been listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. If you like the programming on 88.5 FM, please consider making a donation at WMNF.org. And I want to thank everyone who donated during our recent membership drive. Thanks so much for your support. In this time slot tomorrow, Shelley will host Midpoint and her guests tomorrow will be Ion Tons- Townsend, the chair of the Hillsborough County Democratic Party, and Susan Smith, the founder of the Florida Democratic Progressive Caucus. They Shelley will be asking the question, what's the matter with Florida? And next up is Wavemakers with Janet and Tom Scherberger. And their guest today is Tampa City Council member Bill Carlson. So I hope you stay tuned after NPR News headlines to hear Wavemakers. All this is on WMNF Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota, Lakeland, Bradenton. Thanks so much for listening to 88.5 FM WMNF Tampa.